Well, it's Friday afternoon. Welcome in. Joining us on our second installment of the Tracks Plus Big Dig. I'm Charlie Winfield. Bart Gregory here with me. And we are in the Farm Bureau Studios in beautiful downtown Starkville, Mississippi. Well, things starting to get a little bit busier downtown. You always start to see that on a Friday afternoon. And Bart, uh, the activity is picking up. Yeah, it really is. Just by local knowledge. You never travel Highway 12 on Friday before a game day. You always take, you know, Gillespie, kind of some of those back streets to work yourself east and west, but you never go on Highway 12. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people are beginning to pick up on because now Gillespie is getting a little tough to make that detour off Highway 12. Yeah, a lot of traffic downtown today, people walking around, and things starting to look like a football weekend here in Starkville. But we are back. This is our second installment of our Tracks Plus Big Dig show, and this is our show where we just go through some numbers, look at this game, try to take a preview to the game, but maybe a little bit non-traditional. Or is it Big Dig or is it Deep Dig? I think we go back and forth. I'm trying to think of what sounds better. That's a Twitter you know, poll the question. Big dig, now that I think about it, the Big Dig was a failed tunnel project in Boston. So we should probably go with a deep dig. It's a deep dig. It's a big dig. Anyway, it's brought to you by Trax Plus. We're digging into the numbers, however you, can, you like it. You can dig deep holes. That's the problem in Boston. They, I bet they didn't have, have Trax Plus. They, they right? didn't have sandy equipment or, or some barco to take out all the logs. Anyway, I'm not used to surrendering the host role, but go back. Look, we all have to learn our responsibilities here, Bart. I need you to play disciplined broadcasting today. Today is the day. Do I have to speak English? Well, just we'll take it one step at a time. Not I was too the, much too fast. I was in the Warrior One Stop the other day, and Sims looked at me and says, why every time you walk in here do you start slowing down your words? <laughs> he said, you, you talk slower. And I was like, well, you got to adapt to your circumstances. Anyway, sorry. Oh, no. So we're going to take a little bit different look. We're going to go like we did last week. We're going to both have our opening views and statements on this ball game. Then we're going to do our 3-2-1 approach where – we're going to each share three numbers that we think might be important in this ball game. We're going to take a look at two opposing players and one opposing coach each. We're going to finish up with our two-minute drill again where we just have some factoids, I guess you would say, some snippets on hopefully of interest looking at this ball game or whatever else we want to look at. Yeah, digs that are deeper. Or perhaps just some errant digs. Okay. There's, there's not a lot of rules in the two-minute drill. All right. All right, so Bart, you opened us up last time with your opening statement. I'm going to let you go again. Really? Okay, I was not prepared for this. I was actually going to try to play off of what you did. But anyway, Charlie, here's what's interesting. In the world today, they say that 10% of the people in the world are left-handed. Do you agree with that? I don't know. It depends on what publication you use. Some people say 12. Some people say 10. It's within the margin of error. Yes, and I think from what I hear, the problem with left-handed people is is when they start writing from left to right, they smudge the ink with their hand, and so there are some deficiencies when you are left-handed, but not for NC State because this is a left-handed team without doubt. Last week against South Florida, 82% of their runs went to the left of the center. And then last week as well, when you start talking about the middle of the field, out of the 29 pass attempts, 21 came between the numbers and to the left. Devin Leary, the quarterback, loves to throw it to his left, and so they are a left-handed hitting team. All right. Yeah. All right, so that's a good – get us going there with a look. And, Bart, before I give you my opening statement, I do want to mention we did talk about Tracks Plus. 
And we are now, I think, on about week four that I have not been given the opportunity to drive any sort of equipment, to do anything, to overcome that hole-in-my-life experience. Is that a blame for someone else? I think, to be honest with you, when you start talking about heavy equipment, they will bring it to you. And that's one of the things about Trax Plus is when they, they will deliver your equipment when you buy it. Do but, they give instructions on how to drive it? But we're not we're not buying anything. So they you're not spending money with them. So I don't think they will bring it to you. Thus, I think you're probably going to have to go to one of their locations, which you, is probably a good thing. You know, Henry Cooper once sent me sausage. I you don't think they could send me a an excavator, a excavator or something like that. I want to see you on some of that Barco equipment. I think some of the Barco, when you start talking about mulching, you could just you could, you could put Sims behind the tractor and just say, "Okay, go north," all right? And they can mow down any all kind right, of tree. So right, you just bring up something then. When I think mulcher, I think of like some guy working for the city pulls up and he takes some limbs and runs it through a little machine and the chips fly everywhere. That's not what you're talking about. No, I'm it? talking about one of these. They have a lot of teeth, rotating teeth that just grind and just roll over. You're thinking of a grinder. And you're also talking about a mulcher. They have those bandits. You ever seen those bandits? Those things are crazy. That's like an industrial size of what you're talking about. They're huge, massive. You can run a whole tree through that thing, and it mulches it out into a pile. What I'm talking about from a mulcher is you put it on a piece of barco equipment or you put it on some – on a Saney excavator or a, or even a mini excavator, you can put those mulching heads and just drive through the forest and, hey, I don't like that tree over there, and just and it's gone. And it's just like something I'd see on YouTube. Yes. It's just impressive. Yes. Uh, it's, well, we've always got time to fill that hole in the bucket list, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do appreciate the guys down at Tracks Plus. So here's my opening look. Mississippi State will be playing an experienced team tomorrow. And beyond being an experience, their experience where it matters. NC State's top four cornerbacks have 99 career games played. Their offensive line is old enough you would think it's BYU. They've got a third-year sophomore at left tackle, graduates at left guard and center, a third-year freshman at right guard, and a fourth-year junior at right tackle. And that left tackle, by the way, the guy in his third season, arguably the best lineman in the ACC. Pro Football Focus calls him the most feared in the ACC. By the way, his brother goes to Notre Dame, so you know he's intelligent as well. Equimanu is a dominant left tackle. So you're telling me that's the reason they're left-handed? Well, it has a lot to do with it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> when you maybe all those starts. Maybe one of the best left tackles in all of college football. And that's, and that's one of the things that they, they run behind him and they're not th- scared to throw it to that side as well. And that's one thing that Leary has. He has that comfortability on that blind side that he can throw it. And so you go back to something, though. Where are they a little weaker in experience? At quarterback. You just talked about him. Leary, the quarterback, working back from an injury, he suffered a broken leg in the fourth game last season. He has only started nine games, and that's right about where Will Rogers is. So he's still a guy kind of young. Even though he's older, he's been around longer, he doesn't have as much on-the-field experience as they do other positions. Key to the game tomorrow, you got to get after him. you got to get pressure on the quarterback. Last week, when he was under pressure, he was one of five throwing. When he wasn't, he was picking apart defenses. And you were exactly right, by the way. He likes to throw the ball downfield, but when he does, he is throwing it to the left side. 
That has a lot to do with the fact that a receiver we'll talk about in a little while, Amika Amezi, tends to line up on the left. But, boy, that's his comfort zone, deep and left. But this is an experienced team Mississippi State to be playing. Here's the thing I thought of when I saw Devin Leary. And looking back to last year, we talk about average depth of targets, like ADOT. It's like you got to think Alabama Department of Transportation, average depth of target. That's how I get it right every time. Last year, his depth of target was 12.5 on every throw. Last week, 13.4. When I look at all the tape and things of Devin Leary, he's a guy that lives on the outside. You're going to see two big-time routes tomorrow. And when you're watching the game, these are the two routes you need to watch. One is over the top on the left side. He's going to try to go over the top of Emmanuel Forbes. And the second thing he's going to do, he throws that back shoulder pass. Very well. Very, very well. That is his bread and butter. If there is a knock about Leary, he has not used the middle of the field or deep right side. He loves that left side back shoulder. So when NC State, if they get to the 15 to the 10, that's their touchdown play is that back shoulder. So that's one of the big things that you got to look for tomorrow. Look, they're a veteran team, and they do a good job throwing the ball down the field, but the danger to that is you start backing up, backing up, backing up. All of a sudden, you get that back shoulder throw as you're worried about getting beat deep, and you can see some big plays out of that. And you talk about those five hurries last week. They all came in the pocket. Do you know how many scrambles he had last week? Zero. He was forced to scramble none. I mean, so none. He never had to scramble, a quote-unquote scramble in that game. And so when he had pressure, he was in the pocket. He's more of a pocket style of passer. He's not, they're not going to get him out and move him out a whole lot. I mean, he's a, he's a drop-back guy. All right, so let's think about the football game we watched last night. What was the big conversation we kept hearing about Dak? What's it going to be like the first time he's hit? What's it going to be like the first time he runs the football? Dak acquitted himself pretty well under that. But you can, by extension, ask those same questions. So Leary goes in, plays a ball game last week, and he's only under pressure a couple of times. When he is, he's in the pocket, he's protected, he's able to get rid of it. He's not being flushed out. He's not being put on the move. He's not being put in harm's way on that healing leg. And he had a big-time leg injury a year ago. So if you can get pressure on him, maybe he hasn't quite gotten there mentally to feel comfortable. And a little bit deeper than that, early pressure. If you can get it on him first quarter, first two drives. And I think that's one of the things, one of the guys I wanted to talk about in our three numbers. And is that what we're going to do first, our three numbers? Yeah, we're going to head there. But before we do, let's remind you, too, that we are, in addition to being brought to you by Trax Plus, in addition to having Farm Bureau as our studio host yet again this year, we're brought to you by Country Pleasing as well. So if you're going out this weekend and you're going to, fire up the grills, if you're going to cook something tonight to bring up tomorrow. I have always been a jalapeno cheddar guy, and I very rarely have come off that. But last weekend, my wife brought home the three cheese, and she brought home something else. She brought home, what do they call them, the juniors? Yep, the juniors. Yeah, so it's basically the sausage just a little bit thinner. Boy, you can get those things kind of crisped up a little bit. Those are some good things. So everything, my wife is a big pork and pineapple person yep she's been after me to try the alligator i, I don't know if it's I'm mild quite that yeah, interest I, it's yet. mild i was i'm not a big alligator guy but i had the alligator and it was very very mild let me tell you this i got up this morning and it felt phenomenal outside it's a perfect day here on this friday before the nc state game 
And the one of the first things that I thought of when it gets to kind of cool weather is I think about red beans and rice. And I know you talk about your mom making the red beans and rice. And putting the jalapeno cheddar in there, man. You can put the jalapeno cheddar. But let me tell you, man, they've made their living on andouille. If you go to a New Orleans restaurant, whether it be Emeralds, whether it be Commander's Palace, whether it be Chef Jean or whatever, chances are when you eat their red beans and rice or some of their jambalaya, it's andouille from country pleasing. And that's big time. Boy, I, I just have such a hard time getting off the jalapeno cheddar. But you know when I wake up on cold mornings, for some reason, I want that blueberry maple. Something about that maple cooking up on a cold morning, on a cool oh, morning, yeah. is just good stuff. Just the smell. So let's talk about our three numbers in this ball game. We did this last week, and we had kind of varying results on how those numbers ultimately played out. I think we were right more than we weren't. Yeah, I was, I was right two out of three. I think the ones we missed on were, were turnovers. And I think that kind of goes without saying about how we've got to protect the football tomorrow a lot better against NC State than we did last week against Louisiana Tech. That's the obvious. And so I didn't have anything to do with turnovers in my numbers this week because, to be honest with you, that's too obvious. Yeah, it is at this point. So I tell you what, you went first. Yeah, you go first. Opening, so I'm going to go first on my numbers. So get going on our 3-2-1 segment. My three numbers for this ball game are 19 – 35, and 327. I've got nothing that high. Okay, so I think I've taken us to our highest number so far, but let's talk through these. 19. 19 refers to a player's number, and that's Colin Duncan. Colin Duncan, Mississippi State safety, is going to have to have a good game if Mississippi State's going to win. Now, this is a team that runs the football really well in NC State. They had two guys go over 100 yards last week, but what else do they do? They throw it down the field pretty well. They've got a good linebacking core. When they aren't throwing screen passes, they are throwing it down the field on average 14 and a half yards per target. So it, they will throw their screens, but when they don't, they tend to be throwing long. What do you do when you want to throw long, when you've got a good running game? Play action. It's going to be very important that Colin Duncan not bite on play action and that he be able to give help deep, and as you say, Bart, to the left, on this Bulldog defense, I think in this ball game, Colin Duncan, number 19, will be a big key for Mississippi State if they're to have success. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I, I think you throw Emmanuel Forbes in there as well. And he got bit last week when he bit on play action. And then you go deep down the sideline, it was a 14 nothing game. I thought that was a big transformative play early in that ball game to get it back to 14-7. to And looking back, you're kind of glad it happened last week because play action is going to be a big factor for NC State. My next number, number 35, and that's the number of points I think Mississippi State needs to win this game tomorrow. If you go back to 2020 last season, NC State scored in the 20s at least every game, save for one. Curiously, they struggled to score against Liberty, won that game 15-14. to 14. But seven times they scored 30 or more points, they averaged 30 points a game. Now, look, I'm not making these guys out to be the Kansas City Chiefs, but they're a balanced team. They're a team that can control the ball, and they're a team that can score. And one of the things they do, they put up some big plays. This is a defense in Mississippi State that we saw a week ago can be pretty good on balance, yet give up some big plays. I think NC State's got a real good chance to put points on the board. I think this is a game, to some degree, you've got to look at your offense tomorrow and say, you got to outscore them. I think Mississippi State needs 35 points to win the game. So you want back-to-back weeks of 35? 
I do. In the old days, could you imagine 15 years ago about us talking about scoring 35 points a game? That was called November. <laughs> Actually, I think about it, I could think of some Novembers that we didn't score 35 points total. Well, in some of those times in the mid-2000s, that was like half the season. <laughs> well, we were just hoping for double digits. But I think it, I think the game is different now. Will Rogers sat right here with us a few weeks ago and said, you can score 35 points and lose in this league. You can score 35, I think you win the ball game, but I think you have to have at least that many tomorrow. My final number, 327, and that is the number of missed tackles that NC State has had over the past two years in one game. 25 games averaging over 13 missed tackles per game, and then you say where are their worst tacklers in the secondary. Their linebackers are pretty good tacklers. But the cornerbacks and safeties have not been historically. Mississippi State, no matter how much we protest, no matter how much we beg, is not going to become an offense that pushes it down the field regularly. It is an offense, it is a team that depends on receivers making catches and then making plays after the catch. What helps you do that? Guys who can't tackle. If there is an advantage for Mississippi State tomorrow, we've seen a couple of guys, Polk, Calvin, some of these guys who can catch the football have a little bit of chance tomorrow maybe to break some tackles and add something after the catch. Okay, here's what's crazy is we don't really talk before we start diving into our numbers, and maybe we should start because, (laughs) to be honest with you, I got something on the tail end of mine that's very similar to that. And, of course, that's Charlie's three numbers. What was it? Was 35? Was it the second one? What was the first one, 19? 19. 35, and 327. 327. Okay, here's mine. But first, we are in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startwell Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Deal with somebody you know. Deal with somebody that has great customer service. That's what I do. That's what we all want is we want to deal with somebody that, first of all, we like. I want to deal with good people. And I want to deal with somebody that if I have problems is going to help me and I get tremendous help from my Farm Bureau agent, go with a home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Here's my three numbers. My number is two, another number is 10, and another number is 5.9. And I actually went with a player's number this week, too, with number two. I'm going Tyrus Weed, outside linebacker. He's going to be lined up pretty much on that right side of the Bulldog defense, on the left side for NC State, he must tackle. Last week, he played 22 plays against the run, 29 plays against the pass rush. I think the outside linebacker position of holding everything at the line of scrimmage and bottling things up and making these running backs who were so good cut it back to the inside. When you look back at last week, Zonovan Knight had 163 yards. He rushed eight times outside of the end. He's going to try to get outside the end, and it's going to go right at Tyrus Wheat. So I think he's a big factor in the game. So watch number two on the defensive side about how he can feel and how he can turn things back in out on that outside. Okay, you sold me on that. Now, when you first said that you were going with number two and it was a player's number, I expected to hear some talk about quarterback play. Nope. I'm on the other side. You've sold me. Okay. I'm buying. I'm going to stay with the same thought on number 10, okay? Tomorrow, when we look at the stats after the game, I'm going to give State 10 missed tackles. You were talking about NC State missing tackles, but one of the things that they do is they have a running back core and their two running backs, Zonovan Knight and then Ricky Person, who break tackles. 
Last year, Knight was fourth in the Power Five for running backs at breaking tackles. He breaks tackles. Last week, both of these guys had exactly 57 yards after contact, both of them. Knight had 57 yards after contact. Person had 57 yards after contact. 25 missed tackles last week for South Florida. Last week, Mississippi State missed five tackles. That's what we went down, and I'm sure the coaches will go in and say, man, we had like 13 missed tackles. But, no, from the overall numbers of looking at the game, it looked like we had five missed tackles last week. Last week, South Florida had 25. I'm giving us 10. I'm letting us kind of float out a little bit more, double what we had last week. But 10 is my number of missed tackles because these are guys that can burn you, and they're going to break tackles. And I go back to the importance of making tackles at the line of scrimmage and near the line of scrimmage. These guys, first of all, this is a team that blocks it really well. You feel like with NC State, it's a team that's going to have a little bit of push before you get in position to make the tackle. Once you get there, you better make it in a hurry because if you give them the push and the yards after contact, then you're in a real mess. And my third and final number is 5.9, and that was the yards after contact last week for our receivers. And that's not talking about the whole team. That's just talking about our receivers. Last week, Tulu, 16.5 yards after contact. Jameer Calvin, 12.7. You think of Tulu on the outside. Charlie, you just mentioned it a moment ago. The broken tackles were the cornerbacks of NC State. How will that matchup be? That number's got to be a lot bigger. That number has got to be closer to eight or nine tomorrow. Overall average from your receivers, you cannot go down with the first attempt. You have got to break tackles in the secondary. Like you said as well, this is not a team who's methodically going to move it down the field. You're going to have to have mistakes. I think missing tackles or making NC State miss tackles in the secondary, which is very comparable to what you said just a moment ago. But 5.9 was the number last week. That number's got to get up closer to 10. All right, I'm buying. All right. All right, so we've got the three. We've both given our three numbers. Bart, real quick, your numbers again. Two for Tyrus Wheat, 10 missed tackles. We're going to give you 10 missed tackles. And 5.9 yards after catch last week for our receivers. That number's got to go up. All right, and my 19 for Colin Duncan, 35, the number of points I think we need to win the game, in 327 the number of missed tackles by NC State over the past two seasons in one game. So now let's take a look. We'll go to the two aspect of the segment, and let's talk about our two players from NC State that we want to look out for. Bart, I went first on the three. I'll let you have the honors on the two. I'm going to go to Ricky Person, who is a part of that one-two punch in the running back position. We talked about Zonovan Knight, who actually led the way last week, 163 yards on 16 carries. Person also carried it 16 times last week for 105. He had a long of 32. But here's where he made his hay. We go back to missed tackles. He broke 13 tackles last week. Knight broke seven. So how will he be against Mississippi State defense? I think that's a big key. Watch If you're watching the game tomorrow and NC State hands it off, the thing you need to be looking for is yards after contact, and if you see any missed tackles, what happens to the first maroon jersey that gets to an NC State running back? That's going to be a massive key in the ballgame. All right, and your second player. Second player is going to be Corey Durden. Okay, Corey Durden is a transfer, a graduate transfer from Florida State. Two years ago in 2019, he had 12 starts for Florida State. 
He had seven sacks. He's a big guy in the middle, 6'4", 310. He is a run-stopping machine. I mean, he is a big guy that takes up a lot of space. He is going to be over the nose. They run a three-man front. He's going to be the nose guard. Do you have to double-team him? He has great potential. Here's the thing about Corey Durden. Last week he played 29 plays, did not register a tackle, did not register an assist. He was a non-factor in the game against South Florida last week. Who do you get? Do you get the really good Corey Durden? He wears number 48. He's the big guy in the middle wearing 48. Is he a player tomorrow or is he a spectator? That's the big key for me. That's the thing that's so interesting about watching his career is how on one play he can be just a complete wrecking ball. He can get into the backfield. He can put pressure. And then other times he just goes away. It's it's really interesting. But if you look at this NC State defensive front, they got some big guys. I think he's arguably the most talented up there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got great talent. He's a big guy. Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you don't. I remember a basketball yeah. player we had like that one time. <laughs> Oh, I could remember a few defensive linemen, but I won't go there either. <laughs> all right, my two players, first of all, Emeka Amezi. This is a wide receiver for NC State. When he leaves, he's going to have more catches than anybody else in NC State history. He's a fifth-year guy. He's big, 6'3", 212 pounds. He is physical. And what do I mean by physical? He was one of the best players in the country in winning contested balls. If it is thrown and it is catchable, there is a real good chance that he's going to get it. He's started 33 games at wideout, so he's experienced, and he's got catches in 33 games in a row. That's the fifth longest streak in football. The thing about this guy, averaged 16 yards per catch last year, and the way that he did it, he ran a few hitch routes, he ran a few curls here and there, but what did he do? He went deep. And then he ran those back shoulder throws. You know, a lot of times those back shoulder throws, you have to have some real body discipline as a receiver. You have to have some serious body control to be going, to reach behind. A lot of times you're going back through a cornerback, controlling your head, controlling your hands, making that catch. He was as good as anybody in the country. He'll wear number 86. You won't be able to miss him. He's a big old guy, and he's he makes plays. And sometimes on those back shoulder throws, you got to have the ability to extend your left arm to get to get position like we saw last night in the Cowboys game. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. I just wanted to throw the knife in there. One Sorry. interesting thing about him as he, when you start to look at his catch distribution, when they are in trouble, when they are losing, he tends to have more catches than when they are ahead. Why does that happen? I think two reasons. Number one, when they're ahead, they're going to run the football and not throw it as much. But he looks to be a little bit like the safety blanket. When they need a play on third and long, he's the guy. You know, quarterbacks just have their guy they like to go to. Amezi's that guy for NC State. So is that kind of the game within the game tomorrow? Amezi and then Emmanuel Forbes, one-on-one, on the outside. Physicality becomes a big factor in that when you start winning balls. And so Emmanuel Forbes is going to have to be physical without getting pass interference called. And then the question is how much help do you have to give him? Because every bit of help you have to give takes away from the number of guys you can run at the quarterback, and I think you need to run a lot at him, and it takes away your ability to help elsewhere against a run game that's going to be really good. So my other player, Tanner Engel. Engel is a safety for NC State, and he is a physical player. What do I mean by physical? Well, he was thrown out of three ball games last year for targeting. 
Okay. And missed the bowl game because of it. But he's got 26 starts in the secondary. And last week, compared to our defensive lineman friend, Engel played 50 plays, more than anybody on the defense for NC State a week ago. They'll use him some in pressure. They'll use him some in coverage. He is a guy that will be all over the field. He had, though, his first career interception last week and a guy who's played a lot of football. But number 10, Tanner Engel. Can he keep his head up? Can he keep from getting ejected? If he does, he is a big force to deal with over the middle. Nico Whitley. We talked to Tony Hughes about it during the midweek about how they had to teach Nico completely different style. Now, the question you ask on the backside of that is, if he's a guy who's a hard hitter, who likes to lay the wood, who likes to lower that shoulder, how is he in the offseason – is he a different guy as a tackler? That's that's one of the questions, too. And, and what's hey, interesting. And he know, may get an interception, too, because he's got to hit his head up. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. You know, it's interesting. Every year that he's been there, his number of missed tackles have gone down fairly significantly. He has become a better tackler every year, save for the fact that last year he couldn't seem to tackle without <laughs> targeting. That's funny. So I guess the one is what, our coach? Yeah, so our opposing coach and – it's, I guess it's my turn to start things off here, and I'm going to take a look at the defensive coordinator for NC State, Tony Gibson. First and foremost about Gibson, he is a 3-3-5 guy. He was at West Virginia. He's been all around. He started his coaching career at the, at the highest levels at West Virginia, but did some stints at Michigan, Pitt, Arizona, back to West Virginia, and then he was hired away to come back to NC State. In 2019, he was the assistant defensive coordinator. In 2020, after a change was made, he became the primary guy calling the defenses. They ran a 3-3-5 in 2019. They switched to go to that defense that year. But in 2020, with Tony Gibson taking over, they started to run it more aggressively. So they like to bring pressure. Now, for the most part, they're going to play one high safety defensively. And what they're going to do on the outside with their cornerbacks is they're going to run some of the plays in man coverage, and then they're going to drop in a cover three and play zone a little bit too. One of the things that he does a very good job of, disguising his coverages, disguising his use of his linebackers, whether he's going to bring them on pressure or drop them, and they run a lot of twist with their defensive front. It's a 3-3. Three, three. The three down linemen are all big. They'll move them around. But they like to bring pressure. They like to bring it right up the middle. Forget about the whole drop eight thing tomorrow. You'll see some of that. It would not surprise me if you've got to worry more about somebody bringing the house necessarily than you do drop eight. I think you're going to see a team that's aggressive. And he's going to look at this stat sheet. And he's going to say, Will Rogers is a young quarterback. Will Rogers is somebody who hasn't been roughed up in a while. Wouldn't surprise me if NC State says, let's rough him up. Final point on Tony Gibbs, he is a firm believer in nepotism. His son is a quality control coach for NC State. And he probably looked at the film last week and he saw those linebacker twists with Louisiana Tech who had some success coming through the middle with, with linebacker twists. And so you're probably going to see some of that too. And this is more of their base. That's Like you said, this is the thing that worries me about NC State is they're used to that three-man front. They're not changing their defense to get that odd man front. That's absolutely right. They're not having to take, say, a 220-pound defensive end and try to move him to inside. Their front three guys are going to be big old guys. All right, here's my guy. Here's my coach. He was a quarterback at Rice from 1992 to 1994. He's very well known in the state of Mississippi. His name is Kurt Roper, and he is the running back coach 
at NC State, okay? He was a quarterback coach for NC State in 2019. He came to NC State in 19, so this is his third season there. That was before Tim Beck came from Texas as the offensive coordinator. So Tim Beck is the OC now. His first job was as quarterback coach at Ole Miss from 1999 to 2004 with David Cutcliffe, of course, and then was the offensive coordinator at Duke from 08 to 13 with David Cutcliffe. He moved to Florida in 2014 and was the offensive coordinator under Will Muschamp in that final season for Will Muschamp down in Florida. He left in 15, went to be an offensive assistant with the Browns, and then when Muschamp got the job at South Carolina, he was the co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at South Carolina. He went to Colorado in 18 before coming in 19 as the quarterback coach at NC State. Last time he was a running backs coach was 06 and 07 under Philip Fulmer at Tennessee. What does that tell me about a guy who's a quarterback coach and a former offensive coordinator, nine years as an OC, two SEC schools, Florida, South Carolina, ACC school at Duke as the offensive coordinator. He's got a couple of running backs who are veterans, who understands the quick steps that they have to make. He's a guy that can teach them the overall scheme about stepping up, blocking where everybody else is going. He's going to see the field and, and put in the ear of his running backs the overall picture and not just when they tote the football. So I look at that as well. But here's the thing about last year in his first season as running backs coach, and we talked about this great running game. But last year with 15 teams in the ACC, they finished 12th in rushing offense, 122 yards a game, and in total offense they were 12th. They were 12th on the road. They were 11th at home. I mean, they were bottom third last year in running. In 2019, when he was a quarterback coach, they had Des Kitchings and George McDonald as the OCs. They were 11th. So they went a whole lot better last year than they were in 2019. So while we are promoting them in a run game, they were still – bottom half of the league last year in run game. So, Kurt Roper coming back to Starville. This is his first trip back to Starville in a while. He's a running backs coach at NC State. And, of course, NC State played Kentucky last year. They lost 23-21 in the Gator Bowl. Speaking of Kentucky, I would have lost the bet on who your coach profile would have been. I would have expected you to have gone with Joker Phillips right there. Yeah, Joker Phillips is on the staff now, and he is one of the the few guys. I think he is the only guy coming in that's new on this coaching staff this year, Joker Phillips. Albeit an ill-fated, short-term head coach. I love to see these guys when they start talking about, you know, who they worked for and where they worked. You know, when they start looking at bios of assistant coaches, what's the first thing under Kurt Roper? And I, I don't know if Kurt Roper's a good guy. I've never met him in my life. But what's the first thing he says? He tutored Eli Manning. And then, you know, what do you talk about Joker Phillips? He tutored Andre Woodson. I mean, it's almost like these are the guys that made these guys. No, 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 no. It, <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that. Well, that's like what I was talking about. My defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson, is credited with signing Denard Robinson yeah. at Michigan. Now, is he the guy that swung the balance and made Denard Robinson the Big Ten Player of the Year? No, but it's always going to be high on that bio, isn't it? Absolutely. All right, so, Bart, before we get into our two-minute drill, we do have to comment. You know, we talked about this weather. It's starting to be. It is starting to be good old-fashioned outside, sit down outside and eat weather. Can I get you on board with that? 
I'm ready to eat some tacos outside. I know where you're going with this, and I'm ready to eat some tacos outside. You know, if you go to Two Brothers, they've got places outdoors to sit. You've got some room on the balconies, room out on the side. And, the, you know, the thing about Two Brothers, I really got – there are some people you talk to who are wing guys. Yep. And they go to Two Brothers, and it's the wings every time. And I normally get the wings. You know, I was more of a taco guy and because I like the variety. You can get three tacos. You can get different styles. Different. You're, you're a taco guy. Yeah, I'm a taco guy. But I did talk to somebody the other day who is big on the hamburger. They go, they sit down, they get the hamburger every single time. So, a lot of options yep. at Two Brothers. Yep, Two Brothers smoked meats. It's amazing. Well, is that place packed, by the way? That place was packed last week. And here's oh, the man. thing about Two Brothers is they started out small. And it was almost like they got a big following. And it was almost like a secret for a while there. For several years ago, you know, five, six years ago, it was almost like a secret. Hey, you got to go to Two Brothers. And now it's like, boom, wow, look at all these people. Yeah, yeah. and they're not new. No. Their location is new. The number of people they're serving is new. But they've been cranking out some good food in the Cotton District for quite a while. Man, cheese fries, absolutely, big time. And they're our sponsor of our two-minute drill. And so it is time for our Two Brothers two-minute drill. You know what that means, Bart? You got to blow the whistle? You got to blow the whistle. Here we go. Okay, I'll go first. Of course, Phillip Rivers is the all-time leading passer at NC State. Enjoyed a great professional career in the NFL, most of it with the San Diego Chargers. His dad, Steve Rivers, coached at Pelham, Decatur, and Athens, was a great high school coach in the state of Alabama, and he played at Mississippi State from 1967 to 1970. The left guard for NC State, Chandler Zavala, has a dad who's a chef. If you're into food, he's a two-time champion on Food Network's Chopped. Ruffin McNeil, the special assistant to the head coach at NC State, he's the former head coach at East Carolina, and he was the defensive coordinator for Mike Leach at Texas Tech from 2003 to 2009. And, of course, we all know how it ended at Texas Tech, but Ruffin McNeil coached the bowl game that year, that last year under Mike Leach, and a 41-31 win over Michigan State in the Alamo Bowl. When I was a kid, one of my favorite basketball players was Spud Webb. Oh, yeah. Five foot, five and a half, 133 pounds, your 1986 dunk champion, Spud Webb, a graduate of NC State. Tomorrow's game is the first SEC road game for NC State since 2008, and that was a loss to South Carolina 34 to nothing. And it was also the first collegiate start for Russell Wilson. Boo Corrigan is the athletic director at NC State. He is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame. And if you're out in the junction tomorrow and you're watching the football games and you're saying, hey, man, this is just a great clarity on my TV, you can thank guys like Donald Bitzer, who co-invented the flat plasma display panel in 1964, which is now the flat screen TV. And since 1989, he has been a professor of computer science at NC State. So the guy developed plasma TVs. NC State was scheduled to play Vanderbilt in the College World Series to advance to play Mississippi State in the finals. Mm. They were not able to, but that reminds me of Vanderbilt, who's right fielder. Second-team all-conference player Isaiah Thomas quit the team this past month, saying that Vanderbilt chose their beliefs over his mental health. I don't know if they still play the scene from The Hangover where Zach Galifianakis says, hey, who let the dogs out? But Zach Galifianakis 
went to NC State. He worked in public access TV. He taught a waltz class in 1991 at NC State. And during his time with public access TV, he once shared a Coke with Mary J. Blige. Well, that's our two-minute drill, a little bit all over the landscape. Had to get that Vanderbilt comment in. Had to. But. Dancing on a And we haven't mentioned the 1983 National Championship and Jim Balvano and basketball for NC State. And I hope that we are not mentioning NC State tomorrow in connection with a win either. But that's another. What are we? Are we the deep dig? Are we the big dig? What are we? We decide we're the deep dig. We're the deep dig. We are the deep dig here, brought to you by Tracks Plus. We're in the Farm Bureau Studios. Thanks also to Two Brothers and Country Pleasing. One good thing about all those guys, they've got good products, they've got good service, and we appreciate them being a part of this Friday broadcast. Next week, we'll be back again. We still owe people. We talked about last week we were going to try to get some involvement in the two-minute drills. We have to do that. But one last thing, Bart, before we go, we would be remiss, I think, if we did not take a moment to talk about a good bulldog we lost here this past week, actually after the ball game last week, Wesley Reed, longtime Mississippi State employee. You and I, of course, are good friends with his son, Craig, who's been a Mississippi State fixture himself, an official for a lot of different levels of football. But Wesley Reed, I think he is, when you go back and you start thinking about what college football and college athletic departments were like in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, you just think Wesley Reed. Coach with, with Bob Tyler all the, all the way through Jackie Sherrill and was on staffs and on staff at Mississippi State and the athletic department even after that in fundraising and kind of as a special assistant to the AD under Larry Templeton, and he stayed through with Greg Burns, Scott Strickland as well. And, you know, Wesley taught me a lot, and he, he I worked in fundraising with him. Wesley probably went to more funerals than anybody in the history of Mississippi State Athletics. I mean, he was the guy you always sent to the funeral. He was the guy that always wore way too much cologne. But he was just a fantastic person. You always felt better. I thought Larry Templeton did a great job the other day at the memorial service talking about how you always felt better after talking to Wesley. I saw Rick Stansberry there the other day in Mio. It was great. He was a guy. I saw a tweet from Vic Schaefer. It doesn't matter if you're still here or if you've come and gone. You always look back to a guy like Wesley Reed and are very appreciative of whoever came here, has gone, whatever. They love Coach Reed. And he was so good to me, taught me a lot, a lot that I can't talk about right here on the air. And, you know, and, and I can't say on the air, <laughs> just a very witty guy, one of the old guard. I mean, that you talk about a lot of stories. I think about Jack Crystal and I think about Wesley. Wesley Reed would always go in the booth when Jack was broadcasting, and that's where he watched the game from. He would go make his rounds and see donors and things before games. But by early second quarter, he would always be leaning up against the wall in the radio booth and to hear the conversations of Wesley Reed and Jack Crystal during commercial breaks, to be honest, we are, are some of the things that, that I'll never forget because I learned so much there. I learned colorful language without doubt. But, uh, yeah, i tell you what, the, this place was built on guys like Wesley Reed, and he was a massive, massive influence in Mississippi State athletics. Well, we talk a lot now about the Bulldog Club and everything it does for Mississippi State, but for a long time the Bulldog Club – was Molly Halbert and Wesley Reed. Yep. I mean, that was it. And wherever they traveled, it went with them. And you talk about a guys who wore out a lot of roads, ate a lot of roast beef dinners, 
you know, did a lot of things to try to get Mississippi State where it is. And it's easy to look today at, at all the nice things we have and be hard to put yourself back in that time in the 70s when we didn't have upper decks on either side, when we didn't have lights. And you see these guys just scrapping and clawing to help make Mississippi State what it is today. And so I, I wanted to remember him. He got, uh, he got several of the major gifts to build the stadium. And, you know, the thing about Wesley is he was a true bulldog. He was not a guy, and it was just different. I mean, it was a different time. He was not a guy that was worried about any kind of resume or looking to try to get another job and somewhere else. His day, every day, was about making Mississippi State better. He loved this place with all of his heart. And I look, at, I look back to Wesley and guys like that, like a Jack Crystal, and people who have worked hard, a John Carrero, because this was the place they loved. And uh, I tell you what, I'm, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss that old guy. What was the saying? Is uh, not that he knew where the bodies were buried. He had the shovel in his trunk. Absolutely. <laughs> Told me that one day. I was like, Hey, you know where all the bodies are buried? He said, Boy, I got the, the shovel in my trunk. And so, <laughs> and not only he buried them. <laughs> well, so a lot of thoughts out to him and his family today. So, well, that's another run, another week at our deep dig. Hope you enjoyed it. Give us feedback. Hit us up on Twitter at Bart Gregory at Charlie Winfield. We'll be live tomorrow back in the Cotton District on the pregame show and again on the postgame show, hopefully talking about how the Bulldogs got a win over NC State and go to 2-0. Better tackle. <laughs> Better tackle. Thanks for listening.